we are live. Hello, hello. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, Vicky. Hello. How are you doing? All right. How are you? Good. good. Yeah, good. January, the sun's shining. Got a good cuppa. Favourite topic. Mm. Let's roll. I know. It's exciting. Just because it is January still, I want to see how are you doing with your New Year's resolutions? Oh, you know. Not... It's still packed. <laughs> not. <laughs> it's still packed nicely in its box. I haven't, you know, it's still nice uh-huh. and shiny. Uh huh. Yeah, I was thinking about mine this morning because I was like, uh, no, no. no. So, um, so I thought I should revisit those and try again because you're never too late to get back on that wagon, are you? <laughs> right. So, without further ado, uh, further ado. Good lord. Further Maybe boo. we'll be able to get through this, and I'll be able to speak. But you never know. Right. Okay. <laughs> welcome, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Quick Brews. I'm Katie. I'm Vicky. And if you haven't listened to us before, Quick Brews is the little sister of Strong Tea. Strong Tea is a podcast that was born out of a love of Vicky and mine for talking about topics that matter, things that people stick their head in the sand over, people, things that people shy away from talking about and things that we just feel need more chat about. We want to educate ourselves. We want to educate others. We want to be cycle breakers. As Oh, I like us. that. She called us cycle breakers, didn't cycle she? Breaker. Changing the way people think. Which is change that. agents. Ch- oh, good lord, Vicky, you are on one this morning. Know, are you drinking coffee? No, mint tea. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, we've dived ahead now. <laughs> dived ahead now as to to what you're drinking, which is another <laughs> essential part of this podcast. If you hadn't joined us before, but you crack in there. What make of mint tea is it? Is it peppermint? Is it spearmint? It's it's vadum vadum v a h d a m. Another ones that you sent me. Okay. Yeah, posh ones because you only send me the posh ones. You're, you're really good. You send me really nice, nice ones. Um, and it's pure mint. Now, it's gorgeous until I just realised that the bag split and I've now got a mouth full of mint bits. <laughs> so I'm going to be minty fresh for quite some time. You won't need to brush your teeth later. You're just chewing on mint leaves. I mean, yeah, do, just... because that's gross, but you know. Yeah, I mean, if I smile at someone and they just see <laughs> loads of green in my teeth. But just see people fresh. pointing at you like, you got something. <laughs> you got something. something. Yeah. <laughs> oh how about you well i'm i'm very excited because you know i bought um lots of tea in the sale and i bought loose goes. leaf tea yeah. for the first time yeah. so i've got my little my little dunker today i'm drinking tea too tea yeah eggnog oh whoa yes. i don't know how i feel about that what whoa well, let, me t- okay. let, me t- let me tell you it says eggnog that sweet, luscious concoction at the centre of so many Christmas traditions. A delicious mess of creamy, custody-like flavours. This Yuletide treat is loved for its indulgent dessert flavours. And does it? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I kind of feel like I may have brewed it for a touch too long, but that's okay. Because it is sweet and it is um, vanilla-y and custody and, oh, yeah, it's really nice. T2, nice. if you could send kind of a big fan. Everything. Everything. Yeah, you've got your biggest fan here with Katie. You really have. Yeah, I do. Thank they, you. they have such good teas. I mean, them and Bird and Blend, I am like set up for life. Yeah. Other tea yeah. brands are available. But, but. At, the moment, <laughs> at the moment, those two, I and the, the whole world of loose leaf tea mm-hmm. has now been opened to my eyes. And I am, I'm here for it. I'll always say Bird and Blend, who put marshmallows in their tea, just that, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. just legends. I will try it on the next episode, but I've got a loose leaf chocolate digestive tea from Bird and Blend. I know. 
Are you gonna stunned to silence. Yeah, I know. Are you going to dunk? Are you literally going to dunk a digestive in there as no, well? It's it's loose leaf tea. So no, I know, but you've got to double it up, get an actual digestive. And yeah, but it. then I'd be, be gnawing on stuff during the episode, and it's you know, mm. I, you know, it's not. What's that? Um, when people can hear you talking, and it's that um, sensory. Oh God, yeah, I hate that. I can't remember what it's called. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, when people eat gherkins see. in front of microphones and stuff. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. No yeah. Anyway, without further ado, Sorry. do you want to introduce the topic for today? <laughs> yeah. So we've been really surprised. Well, actually, we're not surprised. I don't know why I was going to say we've been really surprised. We're not surprised. We have had a lot of engagement with listeners about this episode. We put a shout out for anyone who was a fan or enjoyed true crime to send us their comments and to tell us why they like true crime. And it was only when we saw how much, how big the response was that we thought, right, it's good to see that other people are really excited about this episode as much as we are. But today we are trying to dive into true crime. Now I say trying because as we discovered through our research, it is a massive topic. It's mm-hmm. huge. So we may not get to everything that you are hoping for um, when we discuss true crime, but we're going to try our best to get as much covered in we can as we can. But we have said this will be one of the topics we will revisit mm-hmm. again yeah. um, because it's one of my favorite topics. I just, yeah. yeah. It would I, be great feel... actually to get a, to get a guest in, wouldn't it? And and to talk really about true, true crime and, you know, it's, yeah, it's fascinating. And I know it's one of the things that act absolutely, when you said, oh, I love true crime, I was like, oh my God, me too. Oh, let's <laughs> chat about that. Um, It's just such a huge topic though, like you said, isn't it? It is. And I think it's met with a lot of criticism. It's a real Marmite. Some people love it. Some people are too scared to say they love it. And it's hard to say that you love it because you can't, love something that is around crime mm-hmm. you know murder despair you know that kind of yeah you know um but we're gonna dive into that so yeah. right okay so here we go let's let's talk about the definition of what true crime is and the type of true true crime that we're covering so true crime is a non-fiction literary podcast and film genre in which the author examines an actual crime and details the actions of real people associated with and affected by criminal events. So the crimes most commonly uh, include murder. And according to the Encyclopedia of Crime and Punishment, around 40% of true crime focuses around serial killers. Now, it's not just murder or homicide. True crime genre covers fraud, robbery, kidnapping, abduction, and also advocacy. So that's things like uh, courtroom triumphs, uh, wrong, you know, appealing for wrongful imprisonments, that, that kind of thing. So true crime comes in many forms. It's books, films, podcasts, TV shows, and many works in the genre, sorry, <clears throat> many works in the genre recount high profile and sensational crimes. So the most popular ones um, you'll probably recognize being Fred and Rose West, Jack the Ripper, Ted Bundy, the great train robbery, OJ Simpson trial, that kind of thing. So so you get the idea. Mm -hmm. But where did it all come from? Where did true crime come from? So the origin of the genre can be traced all the way back to the 16th century, when there were loads of publishers in the UK who would produce pamphlets uh, reporting on crimes. And a lot of people wrote ballads and poems, 
Um, and they compose them to report on the exploits of criminals across the country. You have a question. Mrs. I Russell. do have a question already. Sorry. Sorry One to dive person. in there. No, go, go, is go. this what was known as Penny Dreadfuls? Oh. Oh, I did know this. I d- uh, yes. Yes, it was. Yes. Is it? Oh, okay. Fun fact. Yeah. Okay. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> it's like someone's going to write and went, no. <laughs> You're both I don't wrong. think. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, many of these literary works, which we think were called penny dreadfuls, um, would take on morally ambiguous views of the crime. Um, so basically, these crimes um, and hangings and the punishments, they'd all be sensationalized to sell copies. Um, so this is the mode of writing that would later be really prevalent in the true true crime genre. So fast forward to the 19th century, where nonfiction true crime became even more popular in um, the United States and in the UK. And at its height, there were uncountable local newspapers. <laughs> Sorry, that's my dog. Oh, she's Does really she want to get involved in this? Whoa. Um, <laughs> yeah, there were uncountable local newspapers um, where they were reporting the murders of five women in Whitechapel and making Jack the Ripper infamous and that was in 1888 and these newspapers were selling up to 30,000 copies per day and it was basically another example of how it was absolutely sensationalizing reporting of these true crime cases uh, cases and it was growing in popularity however in the 19th century there was also um, the crime and punishment reform movement Now, what that was, it was a movement that highlighted how cruel the punishment and prison system was. And a lot of people wanted to reform um, in the treatment of how suspects were treated and how people who were in jail were treated. And actually, Charles Dickens was a massive supporter of this. And he wrote a book, book called A Visit to Newgate in 1836. And it actually portrayed the central figures of the true crime genre in a really sympathetic light that just had never been seen before. It basically stopped that sensationalizing. But stepping into the 20th century, the true crime genre would only get more popular. And that was thanks to the invention of television and radio. So stories and reports of the more shocking and morbid crimes uh, were spreading even wider. And in 1966, there was a book called In Cold Blood, which was a novel by Truman Capote, which if you haven't read I would thoroughly recommend it. It's quite difficult to read. It's quite it's quite flowery, I guess, with the word, but it's it's really interesting. That book pretty much shaped the true crime genre in the 20th century. It combined that sensationalized retelling of a true event, but it combined it with more literary elements that you would find in fictional novels. So it's basically that flowery storytelling of something that was that was real. Um, And although it received critical and popular success, it really did pave the way for other true crime novels and programmes. Then in the 70s and 80s, we kind of bore witness to some of the most heinous and shocking serial killers, um, which was sparking worldwide news reports, stories, essays, books, programmes and films. And the 80s and 90s in particular, there was new interest in the FBI and how they caught some of the now more infamous murderers, thieves, imposters and criminals in recent history. And films like Silence of the Lambs, books like Mindhunter by John Douglas, who is an ex-FBI behavioural unit agent. Uh, They centred around real life encounters. um, And his book in particular was interviewing uh, serial killers. 
And that really appeased a, an audience who were curious into the psychology behind the crimes. And I'll let Katie tell you more about the true crime in popular culture today. But the true crime genre has actually really come under a lot of criticism. And it's it's been accused of making its um, consumers, which are predominantly women, which we'll talk about later, more paranoid. Again, we'll talk about that later. And documentaries like um, the one on Netflix, Don't for with Cats, um, that focused on how amateur internet um, sleuths and fans who caught a killer, it was kind of, they argued that it was encouraging that vigilantism, for example. And one of the biggest criticisms of the true crime genre is the tendency to sensationalize crimes, as, as we've seen that it's done throughout history. Mm-hmm. And many of the books, documentaries, um, they when they center on the criminal in these stories rather than the victims, it kind of, it not only sense sensationalizes but it can be criticized for kind of re-traumatizing yeah yeah um the victims the families um and almost desensitizing us in a way yeah um and charles graber who wrote the good nurse um that's actually been turned into a netflix series as well about the good um the most prolific serial killer in american history the nurse who was injecting Mm -hmm. insulin um he wrote that Many true crime offerings are pulpy quickies. Human tragedy served as porno McNuggets. And wow. that was, yeah, that was his take on the true crime genre. So that's a whistle-stop tour from the 16th century to today. Whistle, whistle-stop. Right, so leading on from that, because like you say, it was a whistle-stop tour and there's mm-hmm. so many bits to get into, isn't there? I mean, mm-hmm. we've talked about it on a previous episode, we talked about the Burke and Hare book, which of course was true crime. Mm-hmm. That was way back when. So it's been the subject of books for an awful long time. Mm-hmm. But we're in a totally different time now. We're in a time of Netflix. Thank mm-hmm. the Lord for Netflix. <laughs> and I just want to give you a little snippet that I found on an article which talks about pop culture and true crime. It says that the producer of true crime podcast Serial revealed that their first series has been downloaded more than 211 million times. Netflix Making a Murder topped its tw- uh, 2018 list of most binged TV shows. Mm-hmm. And there are three dedicated true crime TV channels in the UK that reach over 5 million people a month. Gosh. This is, <laughs> the UK statistics alone are showing just how insane it is and I I wanted to before I sort of start like listing a few and talking about a couple the most recent one and probably the most well-known one is Dharma Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. the monster um the Jeffrey Dharma story Mm -hmm. which is with Evan Peters now Evan Peters has just very recently won best actor for this in a series made for tv Mm -hmm. um one of the victims of Jeffrey Dharma um, Shirley Hughes, sorry, one of the victims' mothers, Shirley Hughes, has recently come out and condemned the win, saying that it keeps the obsession alive doing these things, and also that he didn't reference the victims in his acceptance speech. And I suppose when you watch a TV program like that, it's very easy, isn't it, to watch it and to just think there's no way this is real because it's so extreme. Yeah, and there's I think there's a fascination delving into the morbid, and there always has been, isn't there? Whether you admit it or yeah. not, it's kind of like that need to know why people do it, and the contrast, the the, the um, 
statistics for Dharma. Um, so obviously this is the Jeffrey Dahmer story, the drama about the notorious US serial killer who murdered 17 young men and boys between 1978 and 1991. Viewing figures were astronomical. Netflix um, said that in the first week, it was uh, it was watched what, 196 million hours in the first week of its release. Jeez. Within 60 days... It had reached one billion hours viewed. Wow! And it says it placed it in the rare echelons of other globe-conquering cultural phenomena such as Stranger Things and Squid Games. It was rated eighty-three percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Now, that for something which, when you take it back and strip it back and say, right, this is a guy that killed seventeen people, and yeah, it wasn't just a quick death mm. it, he tortured these people he mm. raped them he cut their heads off he ate them we're talking really severe crimes and one billion people mm. well let's say one billion hours of that content was used viewed in 60 days mm. Mm. it feels it feels weird doesn't it even though i was one of those people to watch that and i was fascinated by it and i thought the depiction of jeffrey dahmer didn't know Jeff, but you know, it was Evan Peters is incredibly talented as an actor, and the way he, that he did it, I'm not, I'm not surprised he won a Golden Globe. But you're watching it, it almost doesn't feel real, does it? No, and I think using that example, because I watched it as well, they made sure that they didn't make you want to sympathize with him. It wasn't they didn't romanticizing make, it, it wasn't romanticized. Even though he was the main protagonist, the main character that you stuck with throughout, you never liked him. You never felt Mm. that you could identify with him or, oh, yeah, yeah, I can understand. There was none of that. Yeah. Um, And it was quite well done. But I get your point in that before you watch it, you don't know that. There's still that draw of you're about to see someone do some pretty horrific things to other people. Yeah. But in a safe environment because it's on your TV, it's on Netflix. Yeah. And it's wanting to sort of, I don't know, I don't know if it's a sort of fly on the wall um, kind of mentality. But you Mm. talk about that whole you never felt sorry for him. Mm. Do you remember a couple of years ago with the extremely wicked, shocking and vile Ted Bundy story with Zac Efron? Yes. Yeah. Now, Ted Bundy was in his own right, an extremely charming man. He was a very good looking man and he won women over left, right and centre. That is why he committed the horrific crimes that he did. Did you feel the same way about that? Did you feel that they portrayed it right? That's an interesting question. I think they could have done more to show the evil side. They showed it towards the end when you saw him semi-flip out at his mm-hmm. fiance, But, yeah, it's a hard one to call. I Oh, you've stumped me. Oh, oh I love it. You've stumped me. But, yeah, because I, I enjoyed watching it because I, I watched the Ted Bundy tapes, which is brilliant. Mm-hmm. I, I have to admit, I prefer watching documentaries rather than a fictional depiction of events. Yeah. 
I prefer watching the documentaries, the more factual based type ones. Yeah. So I knew quite a bit about the Ted Bundy case before I saw the Zac Efron version. And they did miss a few things out and they did miss the truly vile things that that man did. Yeah. And I thought they had an ample opportunity there and they didn't take it. Yeah. I mean, I, I take what you say about actual factual documentaries rather than dramatizations, and I know exactly what you mean. In, in the last couple of years, there have been some incredibly powerful pieces of television and film which mm. have depicted this, one of those being um, Monster with Charlize Theron. <gasps> yeah. That was, and, and actually, I think... That as a depiction of a serial killer actually made you look at why she was like she yeah. was. And I don't really feel... They've done it with Dharma. I don't really feel they did it so much with Ted Bundy. Mm-hmm. But I think the... And I know we're going to come on to this later, but the fascination, I think, is not necessarily the morbid curiosity of what they did, but understanding why they did it. Mm. Not necessarily to justify it, but I mm. I started um, a, a university degree off the back of this because I was so fascinated by crime and wanting to know, well, what makes person A different from person B? Mm. But then person B might be a murderer, but then what makes person B different from person C who mm. is a serial killer mm. and commits such horrific crimes? What's... Mm. You know, is that nature nurture? Is that mm. chemical imbalance? Is that, you know, mm. an injury to the brain? What is it that does this? And I don't necessarily think dramatization covers that enough. It's no, more I agree. about the sensationalizing, isn't it? Yeah. And I think the more horrific, I mean, murder's horrific, but let's take Jeffrey Dahmer, for example, who is way up there on the scale of cannibalism, necrophilia. You know the the real nasty, horrible that you just cannot comprehend. When those kind of things are so far removed from our behavior, way of thinking, our morality, we find it more fascinating because we just can't understand how someone could be in the mindset of doing that and doing it so coldly. You know, to to, to almost. Because you wouldn't even do that to an animal. Do you know what I mean? You know, well, I wouldn't anyway. But do you know what I mean? It's really hard for people who, no, say normal people, I'm trying to say this so delicately. I know. Basically, I... the more horrific it is, the more interested we are because we just can't fathom why people would do stuff like that. Yeah. I, I And I think it's one of the questions I have for later on, and I'm just jumping right ahead because we're, we're all over the place, but that's okay. Um, is why are these things more, I don't want to use this word, but I don't know what else, you know, I've already said sensationalized, but glamorous, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, like, and I, I had this discussion with Neil, we were talking about it and we were discussing and unpacking this episode as to sort of, hey, how do you get into it? How do you, and he said, well, why do, why, why are women fascinated with people like Jeffrey Dahmer and Ted Bundy and why do they contact them in prison and why do they write to them and all of these sorts of things yeah and it's understanding because it's so far removed but then another program that was on was Des with Mm. um David Tennant as Dennis Nielsen yeah now if you put 
the two next to each other and say for example let's put Dharma to one side because that's that but say the Ted Bundy and Dennis Nielsen both horrific serial killers mm. the way the BBC did it I think it was BBC it, uh mm. was it ITV I'm not sure can't remember but can't one remember. of one of one of the British made um TV um companies put it together in such a way that it was so dark and so mm. depressing and dirty yeah. and ugh, you know mm. it was just it was just horrible it, I mean it was an incredible depiction but the whole thing was very relatable mm. you're watching Ted Bundy and I don't know if it's the fact that it's American if it's the fact that it was so long ago and it wasn't mm. that it was in the 70s it wasn't that long ago but you know does that make it more acceptable does it make it more um I don't know, does it make it more tantalising because it doesn't feel real? It's that It's that kind of um, watching it from a secure place, isn't it? Because when it's more realistic, you feel more frightened. Does that make sense? There was, there was one with Steve Merchant in as well. I don't know if you saw that one. He played, um, he played oh, the name's gone, but he, he did a fantastic job. And again, it was filmed much like Des where it was grimy it was kind of unsettling because it was not done documentary style but it was done as if it was very very normal every day you know it was Mm. very real very realistic and I think that's what makes things more unnerving and more Mm. difficult to watch whereas if it's through a Hollywood gloss or it's in another country or it's Zac Efron, someone that you know because he was in high school, whatever it's called, or, you know, he's a big Hollywood actor. Yeah. yeah. It makes it less kind of um, relatable, I yeah. guess. Yeah. It's, and I've and I I've put down some of the things, um, like the dramatisation film and TV. These aren't just, like you mentioned, true crime isn't just murder. Mm. So it's a variety of different um, different uh crimes shall we say Mm -hmm. um but i put down silence of the lambs which of course you already mentioned Mm -hmm. which was the depiction a loose depiction of ed gein good mind hunter making a murderer i am a murderer have you seen that yeah i have seen Mm -hmm. that one yeah yeah. worst roommate ever oh yes yes yeah that's another that's another interesting one um mummy dear mummy dead and dearest which is the story of dg blanchard and her daughter gypsy rose I've not seen that one yet. You've told me to watch that one. Yes. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's an incredibly um, moving story. Um, I Love You Now Die, which of course was the girl who, um, uh, Michelle Carter, her name was, and um, she uh, enticed, shall we say, her boyfriend to commit suicide through text message. Um, American Murder, The Family Next Door. Um, And most recently, Spectre, which is the Phil Spectre story. Mm, that was really interesting have you watched it yeah (gasps) no spoilers no spoilers no spoilers but it's it's very interesting is it yeah Mm. yeah well the other thing that i've written down is um also you had and i can't remember what it was called um tiger king um do you remember Mm. with joe exotic 
I mean, that was a reality TV program that turned through crime because it was the whole attempted murder and he's now in prison. So, you know, and the viewing figures for that, yes, it was lockdown and no one had anything else to do apart from Zoom quizzes and watching mm. that. Uh, but yeah. I mean, that was all over Twitter. People yep. were obsessed with it. It drew more than 34 million unique viewers in the first 10 days. Yeah, I was 34 million people in the first 10 days. But I I think with that as well, even as a standalone uh, reality TV programme, watching that, you just think, that's not real. (laughs) (laughs) This is real. I don't know if that's what it is about, you know, true crime that's depicted i feel very differently and i don't know if you do about true crime that's depicted from america or from american Mm. perspective to british Mm. because it feels um the american side of things you get it's quite um very hollywood you know and documentaries as well you have all these big infographics and it's like Mm. you know and and then you have um uh, documentaries like on Fred and Rose West. Mm. Now they are two of the worst serial killers that have ever been seen in the United Kingdom, and those documentaries are just horrible. Yeah. You watch it and you feel sick to your stomach, which mm. I don't always find if I'm watching an American one. What do you think that is? Do you feel the same? Yeah, I do, and I think British. I think because of our medium of watching it on TV with the British true crime, we do it very well. We do do it really well. I don't know if you saw uh, White House. Is it White House Farm? Ah, uh, yes, yes. You know that. Ago. I'd heard that on a podcast, and I. T- but there is nothing like seeing it to actually, you know, and and actually seeing the pain, even though it's acted, but seeing the pain in and how it affects the families, and that's kind of missing in a lot of these. Yeah, blockbuster. There's very little emotion, I guess. Yeah, it's yeah, it's all very much about the person, isn't it? It's very little about the victims, and that's why I can see why the the mother of one of the victims of Dharma got so upset because for us it's a fascination in how psychopathy works, how mm-hmm. you know sociopaths' minds work. For these people that actually happened to them and as much as we can't even imagine how that feels it did happen mm. well the fact that um it was ryan murphy who created that um uh, jeffrey Dahmer story and ryan murphy has um been responsible for shows such as glee and american horror story which mm. are two of the biggest programs that have been on american tv in previous years and so you know, to be tarred with the same brush, it's almost quite, it's, it's almost glamorized it, hasn't it? In in such a sense. Yeah. And I mean, you only had to look at that, um, the name of that Ted Bundy film from years yeah. ago, extremely wicked, shocking, evil and vile. And you just think that's just a tagline, isn't it? To draw people in. I mean, he and the was. trailer wasn't, it, it wasn't a good trailer at all. Because I mean, if you've actually seen the crime, because the, the thing, <laughs> it sounds awful. I, because I really want to understand it, I will look at things like autopsy reports and try and get some photos and just trying to understand what it really looked like. Because mm-hmm. films like Ted, that Ted Bundy one with Zac Efron, mm-hmm. you don't see 
the horror, the real horrific things. I mean, he went into a dormitory and just went on a mass killing spree mm-hmm. that was brutalizing these young women. He did not care. He couldn't <laughs> give a crap. Yeah. And you didn't feel that in the film. No. You just didn't get that sense in the film of just how much of a loose cannon and animal that he was. Yeah. It felt very much like it was just a thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally know what you mean with that. I really do. And that was the one thing I felt with the um, Jeffrey Dahmer story was the guy that he captured um, and the guy, the, the guy that got away mm. and the yeah. fear that that guy had and the terror and you know i i i i didn't feel it obviously but you know watching it you kind of you kind of understood it and you really felt the fear mm. of that and yeah. so i think some of these things fall short because they go to a place where they glamorize yeah. rather than depict facts and really get into it because i think you can still show the stuff that people want to see mm. You know, if you're into all that morbid stuff, you can still see that. But getting mm. into it and showing it from a victim's perspective mm. and understanding why they do it rather than just being like, ooh, blood, gore, death, yeah. horrible stuff. It it just cheapens it a bit, I think. And doesn't so give like it the respect that it deserves. And this is a beautiful segue for something that I'd like to just cover really quickly. And if you haven't already read Hallie Rubenfold's The Five, it's please read it. So what Hallie Rubenfold has done is she's written a book about the five victims of Jack the Ripper. She hasn't written about Jack the Ripper. It's the five victims and their lives, who they were. And it has dispelled so many myths about these women. You know, they weren't all sex workers for a start. You know, one of them actually came from very wealthy stock, but had fallen on half times due to the death of her, her husband. These victims had lives, children, stories, families. You know, they, they were women that were alive in, in our times not that long ago. You know, mm. there are photographs of these women alive. But have you ever seen them or have you seen the autopsy photos? You know, I guarantee that a lot of people have seen um, Mary Kelly's um corpse you know the 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 autopsy photo um and those kind of images of the victims but not the photos of when they were alive no and Hallie Rubenhold said we go over and over the mutilations and eviscerations we don't need to know any more about that we always start with the murders and then focus on who Jack the Ripper was to the point that he's become a supernatural creature like Dracula or Frankenstein's monster but he was a real person who killed real people. Mm-hmm. This all happened. And our disassociation from the reality is what's dehumanized these women. And they have just become corpses. And can't we do better? Yeah. Now, this is she has come under fire from some ripperologists for saying that we've glamorized the figure. Now, what I, what I will say is I did a little bit of research into this. And I want to clap back at those reprologists and I will take that on because I want to note that there's a fish and chip shop in London called Jack the Chipper. Jack, There are Jack the Ripper tours with Ripper vision. There are T-shirts and mugs with his image on there. There's even a brand of cannabis named after him because it's a killer strain of the product. 
And the worst by far is there's a selection of men's soaps and conditioners named after him, named Jack the Ripper. And if you're wondering, it smells like lavender vanilla. But there are all these products that are named after a man who butchered women, vulnerable women, left them for dead. And yet we are calling fish and chip shops after them. And we are making this this fella who just doesn't deserve the fame, Mm. the infamy above these poor women who were fascinating in their own right. And that angers me. Yeah, I get it. Because what what's the difference of making that acceptable versus, I don't know, um, naming something after Myra Hindley? Yeah, right. Like, or Ian Huntley. Yeah. You know, why is it acceptable just because that was back in... 1888. 1888, thank you very much. History boffin. Um, <laughs> you know, why is that acceptable? And this is not. This is this is what I find fascinating about the acceptability points yep. of these things. And that, you talked about segues. This leads me on beautifully. It, it, it takes me out of my mid-flow, but I will say that's okay. I'm sorry. Because you'll like this segment. Okay, so I want to talk to you about murderabilia. Oh dear. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> oh dear. Um, so for anyone who doesn't know, if you haven't if you haven't come across the term before, murderabilia is a category of products that have been personally owned by serial killers. They might have been created by them, they might have been owned by them. And it's things like signatures, artworks, personal items all part of a dark curiosity, growing interest in diving into the mind of what drives these people. Um, So I've sort of looked at, you know, when is it a hobby versus an unhealthy obsession? Mm. Because you've just talked there about T-shirts and hats and things of like memorabilia (laughs) that you can get that is like, like merchandise, can't you? Now, I want to talk to you about some of the weirdest things that you can buy. Okay. Um, okay. And then I want to do a little quick run through, quick pro quo about um, what you think certain things cost on the open market. Now, some of these have been got from a website called Cult Collectibles. Uh, you can dive in and have a look at those if you want to. But weird things that you can buy, and this is over the years. Mm-hmm. So the human remains of um the original vampire of Dusseldorf Peter Curtin responsible for the murder of at least nine women and young girls in the early 1900s his head was what yeah his mummified head it's now been purchased by Ripley's believe it or not museum but it was on the open market Mm -hmm. yeah Um, (sighs) and it's not not a literal vampire he got his name because he drank the blood of some of his victims you can buy a Jeffrey Dahmer victim doll. Okay. I'm sorry, can you explain what that is? So it says, murderabilia doesn't have to be an adult-only hobby. Children can join in too. I know I can see your face. You're horrified by this. So, introducing the Jeffrey Dahmer victim doll, which according to interesting packaging is fully dismemberable and 100% (gasps) cannibal approved. Yeah, how hideous is this? Right. Um, so the doll was on sale 
for $295. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's oh my god. Yeah, yeah. Sounds horrendous. Okay. Um, something else is another weird thing you could you could have purchased. Um, obviously been purchased now, obviously, because why wouldn't you want this? Um, serial killer Angel uh, Resendez, um, an axe murdering Mexican rapist, uh, full set of fingernails. His fingernails. Mm-hmm. Fingernails, yeah. Um, and then it, I mean, it goes on. We've got um, we've got earwax from a serial killer. We've got used chopsticks. We've got a John Wayne Gacy death painting. Oh, good. Grace, which is of a clown and um the seven dwarves and i'm not going to tell you um because of you know pogo the pogo the clown was quite yeah. um um a point of his artwork i'm not going to tell you what that sold for because i want to uh test you out um later on but um heaven's gate do you remember the cult heaven's gate yeah yeah you could buy bunk beds that were part of the Heaven's Gate cult. Are you joking? Serious? No, no. Um, William Burke's skin pocketbook. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you look like yep. checked out now. Yeah, we yeah, talked no, about that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so that's some of the weirdest things. Now I wanted to I wanted to give you a little little bit of a quiz here. I've been doing some been doing some research. Now, how much I want you to tell me how much you think these um are available for online. Okay, so Jeffrey Dahmer's prison-owned embossed Bible. And that's in dollars. So he's, in dollars. he's written inside of it as well, and there's, like, various, various bits of things he scribbled over the pages. Okay, so he's written in it, and it was his in jail. Okay, um, I'm going to say $10,000. That's exactly right. Oh, my <laughs> God, it's like you've been, you've been on these websites, haven't you, trying to buy this stuff? I'm not proud of that. Um, okay. A Waco Siege memorial hat. It's a white baseball cap uh, with Waco Siege and the date on it. I mean, taste tasteless. What was um, the Waco Siege? Do you know? It's the shootout. Um, let me just give you a quick rundown of Waco Siege. Ha- be having a think whilst I'm doing this. I can confirm that Penny Dreadfuls was the correct name as well. Oh. Um, so um, Waco siege was also known as the Waco massacre which was the law enforcement siege of the compound that belonged to the religious sect uh, branch uh, David Davidians Davidians oh okay yeah Yeah, there was a religious cult basically yeah and um, it's a really interesting podcast about it but I can't remember what the name of it is Um, but the law enforcement went in I think it lasted about five days loads of people died so okay a, so it's a, a cap it's a cap with a texas rangers memorial see a uh, waco siege on it oh okay um say hundred dollars 275 dollars for a hat yeah. um i find it quite um tasteless as well how they actually put some of these things together they make bundles so you can buy a bundle. So the Columbine Massacre Memorial Item Bundle, um, which is a memorial pin 
um, information from the service that was, went ahead and a VHS of the service. That's a, okay. That's strange. Mm. Yeah, th that's okay. Mm. That's up for $350. You can buy Colt Collectibles Bundle, which has got information uh, and things belonging to Manson Ramirez and other. No. Yeah. It doesn't say what it is, but you have to just take your chances with that. That's $600. Now I've got here nine-page police inventory of Jeffrey Dahmer's apartment. Obviously a copy, but it's the oh, police, re police no. report. Mm-hmm. Oh no. Oh. Um okay, I'm gonna go with a hundred dollars again. Three and a half thousand dollars. Oh. Yeah. Never before seen crime scene photos original from Jeffrey Dahmer's apartment. Oh no. No. Oh no. Oh. Two and a half grand. Per picture. Uh, mm, for a picture. Yeah. And um, oh. I just want to. Um... <laughs> no, it is right. I love, I love this one because you just think, how, how are you going to know where it's come from? It's a bag of soil from Ed Gein's grave. Right, that is weird. <laughs> it's weird. It's fifteen dollars, right? It comes in a little, you know, those little bags that you get and. <laughs> like a, a teeny tiny sandwich bag the one you get like ear studs in when you oh buy. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. teeny tiny one of those and it's a tiny little amount and it's 15 dollars. now if you're gonna be stupid enough to buy that i could get that out my garden and say oh yes this is but from this that's, that's strange that's not even from the crime that is that is almost celebrating the man mm -hmm. because that's from his grave that's mm -hmm. kind of sacred yep right yeah. And uh, Jeffrey Dahmer's urn, not his ashes, but the urn that his ashes were stored in, is purchasable oh. online for quarter of a million dollars. I am speechless. Yeah, yeah. And the the Pogo the Clown thing that I was talking about earlier, the okay, artwork the done by yeah. yeah, artwork done by uh, John Wayne Gacy. Um, he did Pogo the Clown. He depicted it with the Seven Dwarves, $45,000. So all of these are things that, um, as you can see, we've just talked through that. Some of them are like memorial things, which I find mm. really weird. Um, and some of them are actual things that have been created or owned by serial killers. Um, these are selling for huge, huge amounts of money. But there is a market for them. You only have to step onto cult collectibles to see the extent of what's available. And, I, you know, if you've got five minutes, I mean, not say for work, but if you've got spare five minutes to go on and look, it's quite shocking. Some of the things that are on there and you think, well, obviously there's a market for it. Mm. Obviously, people are paying this sort of money for these items because those, you know, things are still listed at that price. They wouldn't be set, you know, they wouldn't be up at that price if people weren't buying them. And you just think, who's buying this and why? You know, are they creating shrines to these killers? Do they have such a level of morbid fascination that it's gone a little bit too far? Do you think that's too far? 
for a fascination or a hobby? I think the fact that I'm kind of speechless is probably my answer of <laughs> yes, it really is a step too far. But do you think these people actually re- relates the wrong word? You know how we were saying about when you watch some of the more Hollywoodized documentaries or kind of films, you feel even more removed from or being present to understanding the emotions, the thoughts, the connectivity with what you're watching. Do you think they feel that with the memorabilia? Do you think they really just don't understand that someone was murdered, Some someone was, you know, lost their life really violently and you're holding a piece of what happened? Did they not even get that? I don't I don't know what it is because um there was a lot of things a couple of years ago when I started I listened to the murderabilia podcast um mm. about this and it's actually fascinating it's done by two girls who really did a great job investigating it and understanding about what murderabilia was and they talked to people about it they talked to buyers they talked to sellers and it was fascinating to listen to and there was when I looked on there originally after listening to this podcast, which was it was during lockdown actually, understanding all the sort of things that people were buying, and there was a lot of stuff to do with Charles Manson and the cult side of things. That was a that was a really big. I don't know yeah. why it was so big at the time. Um, and you just think that that was such a horrific crime. You know the the Charles Manson murders and the Manson family. I just think people are so removed from it that they don't understand, mm. or they cannot contemplate the hideousness of it. I don't think it's particularly healthy to desire mm. to own certain things. I mean, I have a fascination to watch these things mm. to a yeah. certain extent, but it's almost buying things is almost overly glamorizing it's almost like putting them up on a pedestal of being this Mm. incredible person I want to own something it's by like buying um I don't know a football shirt that's been worn by your favorite player because you idolize them is it putting them up on a pedestal as an idol to be like oh my god I want this because John Wayne Gacy painted it Mm. I don't know why you would want to support a person like that he's clearly not a very good artist you know the yeah. paintings are hideous and I can't imagine there are that many people in the world that think oh that's a really nice painting I'd like that in my living room mm-hmm. it's got to be something more that whole I don't know it's holding something that's taboo and we this is the whole point of our series is that taboo is is um evocative Mm. it's you know I've got a painting by a real life evil monster look it's up on my wall and it's safe because he's not around anymore but look what I've got and it's Mm. it's that kind of this is what pure evil created this is what it looks like and isn't that so cool and yeah it's people are removed from it but how cool is it that's the only thing that I I can really imagine but yeah. I, what I would be interested is if it's more men, men or women that are right. So, okay, okay, here's a question. Right. So, women make up 75% of true crime podcast listeners. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's mostly women that watch the, um, I think it was something like 36% Netflix has said um, of the demands for true crime 
uh, programs have come from women where it's only like 31% from men. So basically women disproportionately make up the voyeurism and, and the viewership mm-hmm. and listening of all true crime. Is it more women than men that are buying the memorabilia? In my head, I was seeing a man. It's same, exactly the same. Like, would you would you get a woman who wanted to go and buy a, a bag of soil from a grave? Right. But in my head, it was a man that was buying all this stuff. But um, also, if you're talking about that and the men women side of things, you get an awful lot of women that contact serial killers in prison. Yeah. Like, fan mail love letters like that draw of I mean that's taking the bad boy obsession to a complete extreme there aren't as I as far as I know of there aren't that many men that contacted serial killer females in prison I mean I don't know what Myra Hindley's um you know fan bag was uh full of but I I don't I don't think the obsession is there with that and, and again, it's not just serial killers, you know, and it's also not just things that they've owned. Like it's books that have been written by uh, criminals. Mm. I own several books by Charlie Bronson. And I am fascinated by that man. Now he's done some bad stuff. But I, I am fascinated by him because he's he's mm. been dubbed as the most dangerous prisoner in the United Kingdom. Mm. He was friends with the Cray brothers. Have you seen the film with yes. Tom Hardy? Tom Hardy, yeah. yeah. Incredible film. Really, yeah. like, and it did depict him as a nasty, horrible mm. so-and-so as mm. well. Um, but, you know, he's written a load of books. I've bought his books. Therefore, mm. am I supporting what he does? Am I weird see what i mean yeah i don't think so because i mean i thanks mate no i don't think so <laughs> I think validation so. at last yes <laughs> yeah no and I, I think that's why there's this whole trepidation of saying you know you're a fan of true crime because as we've talked about does that mean that we're unsympathetic to the victims i don't think so i think i think that's all part of why we are fascinated with it we yeah it's taboo it is taboo it is taboo and then at the weekend I sent you a um a news article of a crime Mm. that happened last July so it would have been uh, 2022 um a girl called Shane Groves um who was obsessed with true crime um she had a fascination with serial killers um and it allowed her to think that she could clean up a crime scene and she ended up killing and stabbing her stabbing her partner over 22 times stabbing him to death and it said in the um, article these provide an insight into the defendant's mind to plan an attack on mr fitzgerald and engineer a situation in which she could appear the victim the defendant had many gangster books like charlie bronson she has serial killer pictures in frames on her wall and watches murder documentaries yeah that's idolizing if you're framing pictures of serial killers, where's the line? Well, you've not got Charles Bronson flipping framed on your wall, have you? I do not. Do you know what I mean? I do not. <laughs> too many photo frames in this house. There's not enough room for Charlie Bronson. Um, let's let's put it back to our listeners because let's have a look at some of their feedback as to why they like it. Okay. Because this, honestly, we were, there are so many 
Um, Abby had replied saying, because it's real life, it's like a part of history that's something I find really interesting. I also find it oddly comforting. I'm not a dangerous person, I promise. I also think I find it interesting that the criminals still don't admit to the truth even after being convicted. There's something in that too. Uh, B, I just find the psychology and behavior of the whole thing fascinating and the investigation side of it too. I find it fascinating looking at why people do it and the different levels of crime too. I did a training course on offenders of sexual offences and my God, I loved it, looking at why they do it and the kind of personalities. Plus, I'm bloody nosy and interested in human behaviour. <laughs> I just find it hard to wrap my head around how serial killers justify to themselves, justify their actions to themselves. Um, Sarah? I, I think, no, just, I, no, I totally get what she's saying. That's That's how I feel. Mm. That whole understanding and justification that's fascinating because that's clearly mm. come from an unhinged person, hasn't it? So who knows why unhinged. it's like that? So yeah, it's not the gore and the guts; no. it's the why and the how. So I know we we've been talking a lot about these two particular killers, but Ted Bundy was psychopathic and a denier up to the end. He even did, tried to defend himself in court, and the game was up when obviously the teeth matched. But he was adamant, you know, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, I didn't do it. Jeffrey Dahmer knew he did it, knew he was going to get caught, knew it was wrong, but did it anyway. And so you've got two different types there where it's, you know, one trying to kind of justify, you know, and deny right to the end, and one who knows darn well it's wrong and admitted it and, you know. But do you well, see, and it's that, you know, that program I talked about earlier, the I Am A Murderer? Yeah. And you, the way it's put together is quite clever. I found this as well actually watching things like monster and uh, the jeffrey dharma story i found them very um eye-opening in terms of the upbringing that those killers had mm -hmm. and i'm not saying that justifies it in any way shape or form because people go through horrible things and don't turn into serial killers but understanding why if you have a background like that and you've gone through something so horrific what turns you is there a predisposition to it yeah, you know, gotcha. yeah, uh, that's that's fascinating. So yeah, yeah great, great comment, B. Um, Sarah, so you will be glad to know, as it isn't in my morals to even contemplate doing what they do, I am intrigued as to what makes them tick and what goes on in their brains. Uh, Lou, I think I'm naive to what life is like for some people who don't think in the normal way. So I think watching these things is shocking, but it gives me a sense of understanding that people can be so different. If I'm being honest, there's probably an element of making me feel good about my own life too. That's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting, yeah. Uh, Laura, bless, I don't like them. So this was an interesting comment and I, I did want to hear both sides. Yeah. Um, it scares me, especially since having kids and I can't really watch them. But there is that realization that there are some really nasty people out there, and that makes me petrified. Mm. Uh, Lisa Sell, who is the author of Killing Kindness, The Watcher, and The Hidden, um, she got in touch. I'm an author of fictional crime, mystery, and psychological thrillers. True crime stories are my research. I find it fascinating learning about the minds of those who commit crimes and how they commit them. True crimes gives me lots of ideas for my novel. Uh, Siobhan Doherty, uh, I like to try to guess the outcome, who's behind it, etc. Would I be a good detective? Spoiler, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I like to share shocking snippets of the stories or little tidbits of lore with friends and family that I learn along the way. And humans are interesting. Hmm. Um, Annalise Johnson says Professor David Wilson. And I think, to be, I know that was just like, but I think it's a good, what she's said there is actually, if you've got good authors or well-written accounts, then it does make true crime interesting, humanizing and quite insightful. Um, yeah. And Professor David Wilson is quite a good, Paul Harrison's fantastic. I would love to have Paul Harrison as a guest. He was, uh, worked with the, he's British, worked over at the behavioral unit in the FBI and interviewed Ed Kemper. He interviewed a lot of them and he does a lot of talks. Um, I've seen him twice, quite a fangirl. Um, <laughs> Setu Maniam, who's one of our listeners in Malaysia. Mm. Um, he said the excitement of knowing how criminal minds work and how the police work to solve the mysteries. I would like to f- point out that Setu is the only male who responded. Oh, interesting. All the rest were female. It is it is fascinating. Like just hearing different people's perspectives on it and um the person who said that she doesn't like them because mm-hmm. not everyone does and i don't think the older generation are you know into it it has it feels like it has erupted in the last mm. couple of years but can you see um you know we've talked about dharma and bundy from the 70s and um alien Werners as well you know again 70s 80s can you see them making a film about Fred and Rose West in like 20 years? Yeah. Can you? It draws a crowd. Yeah. Is it not True the one crime... about the Moore's murderers? It's funny, isn't it? I think going back to what Laura said about with kids, I will not watch anything that has children if they've been hurt, tortured, and murdered. I remember listening to a a podcast called Case File and I'd always just have them going on. So I'd never really know the content. I wouldn't read the bios. And it was about uh, an infant. And I won't give you the details because it was hugely disturbing. And that will stay with me for the rest of my life. And that was before I had children. And then then I had Ellie and Mm. I can't, I I can't have you know anything on Netflix that has child in it? I, I can't watch it. Even the Joe Bonet. Yeah, yeah. Marriage. John Ramsey. I can't, uh, I can't. Yeah, I can't watch it. Yeah, yeah. I I see what you mean now with that, and it's. I don't know. Like one of the things I had, like talking about pop culture, one of the things that I'd reference was American Horror Story. Yeah, because it's such a huge program, and mm. almost every episode features some part of true crime from throughout time and it's almost easier to watch because it's not you're not watching a documentary you're also not watching a film like the Ted Bundy tapes or you Mm -hmm. know the the story of Ted Bundy it's a a program over here which is all shiny and like oh look it's a horror story yeah Mm. but actually it's got things interweaved to it which I think makes it uh slightly glamorizes it mm. um but yeah one of the things I wanted to talk about and I'm so conscious of the time because we, we're, <laughs> we're running over we haven't talked about hardly anything we I were know. Going to. did you know there's a festival a death and murder true crime festival in America 
what happens at these festivals okay let me tell you it's um called death becomes us yeah i know i know um so it's a week-long event dedicated to psychology history and significance social significance of true crime over seven thousand people showed up to the first one which i think was in um 2020 or 2019 i think so just before lockdown um it's a community fascinated by investigations and psychology this time around People who wanted to go purchased tickets to see John Douglas, who's retired FBI profiler, mm-hmm. north of Mindhunter, Mindhunter. Yeah. and Amanda Knox, who, of course, spent eight years no. on trial for the uh, alleged murder of her roommate, Meredith Kircher. So people are going to, like, 7,000 people paid to go to an event. They, that, yeah, that so I, I can't. Yeah, I I can't argue because it. Yeah, I've been to see Paul Harrison, who worked with John Douglas a couple of times, and it is that fascination of hearing about his interviews with serial killers. And but that's a talk. That's a bit different, isn't it? To create an entire festival. Festival, yeah. The Amanda Knox thing is a bit. That's a bit contentious. No, I mean I know I've seen a couple of programs that, you know. I, I don't have an opinion. I'm still kind of, I, I think she, I mean, the police handled it really, really badly, um, messed up a lot of the evidence and kind of made her guilty from day one. So she didn't really stand a fair, fair mm. chance. Um, I don't think she did it, but that's my own view. Could be wrong. Um, but I still, why would you go and see someone who was convicted? Just, I, I don't, yeah, I mean, I don't know how don't much of her talk would have been what it was like to be in prison. And she has been, has she been um, pardoned now? Or is she, is like, is she just been let out? I think she's still wanted. Was she acquitted? Not pardoned, acquitted. I don't know, I did see a documentary about her a little while ago because the the boyfriend actually did time yeah. for her. She was, she was in prison, wasn't she? But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's that I don't know. Like they're kind of making her like a celebrity. Yeah, that, that doesn't really sit yeah. right with me. Because no. like the other things that just just the things that came to mind, um, two crimes in the United Kingdom, Mick Philpot, who was the guy that set fire to his house mm-hmm. to frame someone else and killed six of his children, and um, Karen Matthews, who was the mother of Shannon Matthews, who locked her under a bed and told everyone she was missing. And Levi Belfield, who was the killer of Millie Dowler. Dowler, yeah. You've got three people there. I know that it was relatively recent in the grand scheme of things, but I can't understand anyone wanting to pay to see those in that sort of scenario, in that sort of um, celebrity status. Because as far as the british public public is concerned those people are hideous people yeah so what makes other killers and other people that commit crimes that level of glamour and that you know oh i want to i want to see them i want to understand why they did that whereas mick philpot is doing time and people just despise him because he mm. killed six of his children. children so people are just like incensed with rage every time you think about him no one's going to want to see him 
he'd end up getting shot if he was mm. out, you know. So why does it make one more acceptable than the other? Do you think it's the danger? Because like we said before, if someone just shoots, say just shoot, when if someone shoots someone and kills them in an act of passion that, you know, it's not very interesting, is it? Mm. People aren't, oh, okay, yeah, you know. If someone, let's take Ed Kemper, kind of murders them, takes their head, puts them on the mantelpiece and still talks to them two days later, that's kind of a bit, whoa, that's a bit cracking nuts, isn't it? Right, okay, yeah, that's fascinating. And that becomes the whole, I'd love to talk to that person. Do you, think it's Do you see weird, what I mean? It's the weirdo factor. I think, <laughs> you would say PC. Yeah, it's the weirdo <laughs> factor. It, 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 it is, it's the extremities that you can't imagine. Yeah, you know, it's the like... danger, it's, it's the extremities. It's the violence. But even though I, I still think there's got to be a divide, American and British, because um, Ian Huntley, so that's a bit further ago, obviously, mm. Holly Wells, Jessica Chapman, it was something that will stay with the Brit. Anyone yeah. that was alive at that time will remember it until they die. Yeah. No one, even though the the kind of thought behind, oh, my God, how can you do that? to two young girls how can you possibly even think of doing that no one's going to want that fascination no. element whereas you know understanding why a kid goes into a into a school mm. in america mm. and does what they do where they shoot kids mm. and you just think that's horrific but why have they done it yeah there's like an age cut off isn't there the victims if the victims are kids, it's kind of that's disgusting. And there's there's almost like almost like in a very immoral way, there's a morality line. Mm. Does Where that make that sense? Like, yeah, no, yeah. Uh, totally. Totally. And I think um there's just there are just so many, so many facets to this. I just don't even think you can I think we've just scratched the tip of the iceberg. We really have. Yeah. I think we should come back. We should come back. I've just written yeah. people are weird on the bottom. <laughs> Yeah, people are not just serial killers, but people who want to watch about serial killers, and I'm one of them. I I must be weird. No, 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 not at all. I'm I'm with you, and yeah, I really wanted to talk about Hotel Cecil and Elsa Lam as well, but next time we'll have to do it again. Next time, yeah, I think this is probably going to be a really popular episode. We're going to revisit this many, many times, and we are going to revisit this because we haven't even talked about the reasons why we find it fascinating from fear compassion to Maybe we should do part two should we do a part two i think we'll do a part two okay should we see if we can get a guest on for part two maybe let's yeah we'll come back to this guys okay <laughs> but thank you for listening thank you for tuning in to yeah. listen to me if i can just waffle over tea and, and being say, shocked why why <laughs> this <laughs> why but are we weird but why but are we are weird? weird i feel a bit weird i feel a bit weird <laughs> No, but that's okay. They're weird. Okay. <laughs> yes, I mean, the conversation will continue far long yeah. after this, I'm sure. But thanks ever so much for listening. We will do a part two and we will see if we can get a guest on and do a bit of a quick brew with a guest. Um, mm. Not a strong tea, but just to discuss this a bit further, see if we can get someone a little bit a little bit juicy, a little bit um, mm. exciting, and to discuss the second part about why people are so interested and fascinated. Um, we won't be getting... A serial killer on for the second part. No, because that's, that's just wrong. 
tis wrong tis wrong it's not it's not what we're here for so guys thanks for tuning in if you have liked what you've heard today um please check out our website we have got a bias of coffee page um if you'd like to hear more about what we do we're mm-hmm. interested in investing more money in getting more topics getting more guests more exciting stuff um but we will be back next week with a strong tea next week because it's a quick break oh, yes. and we like to intersperse them with each other so please stay tuned check out our back catalogue which is available on spotify apple and all other major platforms and we will speak to you very very soon take care everyone thanks bye bye